Welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Good to have you along tonight for this special All-Star edition of the show here this evening as the All-Star game will be getting underway later on tonight from Denver, Colorado. And, of course, we get together every week, usually on a Monday night, but tonight we're doing it on Tuesday for the All-Star game to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, the Indians for just a little while longer, of course. So to do that, let's bring in our... Reds expert, Blake Watson. Blake, how you been over the last couple of weeks? Good to hear from you again. I'm good, brother. It's uh, been, been a busy time, you know. Watching the Reds climb back into, into contention has been really fun. Uh, you know, just ready to see what this second half holds for this team. Yeah, they've done a really good job. They've been on the ball as of late. And, uh, of course, right now they're only four games behind Milwaukee, four games in front of Chicago. And they're six games above 500. But the thing that's impressive, Blake, is they're only three games behind Milwaukee in the loss column. Yeah, it's uh, it, that 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 four game series at the beginning of the, or before, right before the All Star break that just finished up, obviously on Sunday. Drop the first one, take the next three. Um, I, I saw a, a tweet from uh, Jason Stark. It said something along the lines of, outside of, the, again, not against the Reds, the Brewers have won, I think, 15 or 16 straight at home. And against the Reds, they're 6-1 and one over that time frame. Um, so it's, it's, they're starting to figure it out, man. The big thing is they're starting to pitch. They're getting better bullpen up. If, if better bullpen uh, production. If they'd have got good bullpen production in game one, they'd have won game one. They had it won, and uh, Brad Brock blew the save. But... It's, it, you know, this team's got a chance to be really good still. Uh, I still think it's a team that, you know, the way they swing it, and then with the two studs at the top when Gray and Castillo are both healthy and going well, obviously Mally's been really good at times. Um, it's a team that nobody wants to see in a short series come the end of the year. You know, I was very impressed with the way that, uh, I believe you pronounce it, Osich came in Sunday and closed the game for the Reds against Milwaukee. Yeah, absolutely, because um, Heath Hembry had closed the two previous games, so he was kind of unavailable. Um, Art Warren got hurt during that game, so they had to go to some other guys early that they didn't want to. Art Warren's been really good for the Reds. I got a bad feeling that's an arm injury, the way he came out of the game. Yeah. Um, he might be done for a while. I don't think they've released any any uh, specifics on it. Um, so... Yeah, Osich has been really good since they brought him up outside of that game, that first game against Milwaukee. Brad Brock's been pretty good. Art Warren had been good. Heath Hembry's been good. And kind of the guy that's starting to fly under the radar and has been pretty good is Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett's been really good for the last month, month and a half. Um, he was all also really, really, really bad before that. I mean, his ERA still plus six. Yeah. But as a reliever, two really bad outings and you're, you're, you know, your ERA goes up tremendously. You give up three runs without giving, getting an out. Their, your ERA is 27. Um, so it's, there's not much you can do about that as a reliever. Just keep grinding. He's been pretty, pretty, pretty good of late. And the big thing is they expect to get Lorenzo back on Friday when they open back up. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, is that the, the Reds put Sonny Gray on the IL, but I don't think anybody is really concerned about that. I think that was just a way to give him some rest during the All-Star break. That, that's what it appeared to be to me. Yeah, and so he made his last start, and if you listen to him before that, he made his last start, and he had the, I think they're saying it's like a rib injury kind of thing. He felt it the whole time he was pitching that game, that he did his last start, which was a good start. Um, I think that was... It was last uh, Wednesday. I don't remember. Last Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday. And he threw really well, and he... uh but they threw him on the DL, and now he can come out and start game two or three against Milwaukee after the break. He got him an extra bullpen arm with Tony Santion coming back up. So it wasn't a bad idea just to give him those 10 days off because he probably wasn't going to pitch anyway, and it gave him the opportunity to bring up an arm. Well, it, on the other side of the coin, though, the Indians, they went through that 11-game losing streak. And when they came back home, they had Kansas City, which was kind of a breath of fresh air that they actually had somebody 
that they could legitimately beat with the pitching staff the way that it has been. But that night they decided to go with Zach Plezak. Now Plezak hadn't pitched for the previous month and a half after breaking his thumb, taking his uniform top off after a ball game, which is about the most insane way to break your thumb I think I've ever heard of, Blake. Have you ever heard of more a more inane way to break a bone than by taking your shirt off? No. <laughs> it was crazy. But anyway, he comes back and he gave the Indians just exactly what they needed. He gave up three home runs in the game. But still in all, the Indians were able to come back and win the ball game. But he gave them six inch, six innings of good starting pitching, besides the fact that he gave up the three uh, solo shots. And that was something that the Indians needed so that they could give their bullpen somewhat of a rest because, Blake, their bullpen right now is totally shot. The starting pitching that they have been getting has been completely sporadic. They don't know who's going to start. Right now, Savali is supposed to start throwing later on this week, so he's still probably 10 days away. You've got Sean Bieber, or Shane Bieber, excuse me, who made the all-star team, but he has just started throwing. He's not even throwing off the mound yet. He's not going to pitch in the all-star game, obviously. And he is probably at least 10 to 15 days away. Now, Tristan McKenzie, whom you saw pitch against the Reds this year, he came up and he's thrown three good games for the Indians. Uh, Quantrill has really started to turn his season around and has thrown some good baseball the last four times that he's been on the mound. But after that, Blake, the Indians have just had a tough time trying to find anybody that can throw any innings for them, and it has just been a big toll on their bullpen. And you know how bad that can be because the Reds were having the same problem about a month ago. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's kind of the difference in the last couple weeks for the Reds and the difference in the last couple weeks for the Indians. If you look at the guys the Reds have lost in the starting rotation, you know, Gray was the big one that went down. Miley missed a couple starts. But when they brought up Gutierrez and Santion, they were more than adequate as starting pitchers. Um, and that's been kind of the difference in the two groups, right, is the Reds have gotten better starting pitching of late than the Indians. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, obviously injuries notwithstanding, that's still surprising because, you know, the Indians are just expected to have a legitimate starting rotation. Now, you're missing four-fifths of your opening day starting rotation right now, <laughs> and that's not good. Uh, I don't care if you got, you know, the 90s, Braves, you're missing four fifths of your rotation. You're not good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's been kind of bad timing. Everybody getting hurt at once is kind of crappy. Um, but yeah, attacks bullpen, man. It's you just can't overcome it. You, you end up dipping into the minors for different arms. And if the guys, if it wasn't the guy you brought up to begin with, when someone else got hurt, is he as good? Like he's not your first choice to come up. So it's kind of. You know, it's a double-edged sword. You lose because your starting pitching isn't as good, and then you lose because you get a decent start and you don't have any bullpen arms to run out. It's just tough, man. It's a really difficult spot to be in for Tito um, and, and that, in that Indians ball club, man. You just got to find a way to get at least decent starting pitching. The problem with the Indians is, you know, the offense just – it's okay. It's fine. But it's not good enough to carry you through long stretches of bad starting pitching. The way the Reds' really good offense kind of buoyed them and kept them close. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the Indians just, you know, they don't have that ability on offense. How can they get hot and score 10 runs and win a ball game? Absolutely. But can they do it consistently over a week or two without their starting pitching? I just don't think so. Well, and especially when you've lost Eddie Rosario. Rosario, the, the starting left fielder that has come over from the Minnesota Twins, and he was really the cleanup hitter for the Indians all year long and was leading them in RBIs, but now that he is out because he's got an abdominal strain and who knows how long he's going to be out, that's moved Reyes, who just came back, and Reyes has been outstanding. Fran Mayo Reyes has been outstanding since he came back, Blake. I mean, he had a walk-off home run the other night against Kansas City. He's hit three homers since he's come back. He's in the cleanup position now. But I'll tell you what, for the Indians, they really need to get something going because 
the way it stands right now, they're firmly in second place of the American League Central. But after that 11-game losing streak, you would expect their record to be worse than what it is. But right now, they're 45 and 42. They're eight games behind the White Sox. They're only four games out of the wild card position and literally tied with the New York Yankees in the wild card spot. But it, it's been interesting to watch this team and to see the way that they have battled throughout these injuries. And this has been one of the more crazy injury-filled seasons I've ever seen for the Indians. And I, I hope that this is done in the second half. They get the, the team that they've got that is going to compete and maybe they can get back into the pennant race. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's where we're at at this point, right? Yep. Um, just kind of figuring out, you know, everybody kind of knows where they are. And I think the Indians obviously, if healthy, are a lot better team than they played the last couple weeks. Well, it's crazy to think, if you look at the National League, the Reds have the fourth best record in the National League. Or fifth best record in the National League. And they're out of the playoffs right now. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just kind of crazy to think about. Um, and, you know, sitting here and look and you see different reports on whether the, what they're going to add and whether they're willing to add. And, um, you know, it seems like there's com- conflicting reports on whether or not they're willing to, you know, be buyers at the deadline and go out and get a, a front, front of the, Frontline bullpen armor too, maybe being the Trevor Story sweepstakes. Um, I don't think know. I don't think they're going to mortgage the future to go after somebody like a Trevor Story. Do you? I, I could see them picking up maybe some bullpen help, but not somebody like that. See, I think the whole thing is is I think the the asking price for rental players is so much lower than it used to be. You're, you're not looking at teams that are willing, unless you are, you know, literally one legit player away from being a World Series capable team. Now, if the Reds were six, seven games under 500 and, you know, you, you were a Nick Castellanos away from it, I say you do it. Um, you, you sell it. But I just don't think the asking price is going to be as high as people think it's going to be for someone like Trevor Story. I see, you know, maybe it's a spot where you give up your fifth or sixth best prospect and then your 12th or 15th best prospect. And if that's the case, I'm okay with that. If I can get Trevor Story without giving up Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Jose Barrero, formerly Jose Garcia, um, or, you know, Austin Hendrick, any of those guys, I'm doing it. But if I have, if they want one of those guys, there's no chance. I'm not mortgaging, you know, six years of possibly Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo for, for uh, two months of Trevor's story. That's crazy. Or unless you're the Yankees or, you know, the Dodgers, which they won't need Trevor's story, but a team like that who can easily come the end of the season just re-signing. Um, because, you know, if, if you're a smaller market team, the Reds, or the Indians in, in this case, you trade for Trevor's story today, you're not bringing him back next year. Like, that that's just, you're not going to pay him $24, 25000000 million a year next year. That's just right. not going to happen. Um, so, you know, I don't see that. I don't see it being the case, but I also don't see the asking price being as high as people think it is. The guy we're not thinking about, the guy that's really out of the out of the thought process for all Reds fans right now, is Mike Mustakas. Where's he at? Where, where does he stand right now? And that leads me into my second question: What kind of an out do the Reds have in Mustakas's contract? They don't. Um, I don't think they have one. Um, I think it's pretty player friendly for, for Moustakis and obviously Castellanos as well. They signed really similar deals before last year. I don't think there's a reason to, to pull out of the Mike Moustakis, uh, deal right now. I think you bring Mike Moustakis back, you get. Here's my thinking behind Moustakis. They've done what they've done without him. Castellanos has got the option coming up that he can opt out of his contract. If Moustakas has got the same thing, I let Moustakas go, and I take the money that I spent on Moustakas and give it to Castellanos and keep him. Yeah, I mean, I don't see I, I don't see Nick Castellanos in a resident uniform next year. I think he really genuinely enjoys playing in the city of Cincinnati. I think he likes the fans. I know him and Jesse Winker are really good friends. Um, I just don't see the Reds paying him what he's worth. That being said, I was having this conversation with my uncle the other day. 
I don't think Nick, Nick Cassianos is going to be that guy that's out just hunting for the biggest deal he can possibly get. Everything I read and talk to and hear about Nick Cassianos here come from his mouth. This dude cares about one thing, and that's winning baseball games. Yep. He wants so many bad teams in Detroit. He knows what it's like. He's not going to go to Detroit again or, you know, Kansas City just because they give him the most money. That's not what he's going to do. He is going to find the best situation for himself to be successful and get paid. He's going to go somewhere he can win. Um, and if he feels like he can win in Cincinnati, I don't see why he wouldn't stay around at maybe, you know, he's making 16 and a half this year. You got to think he'd probably get 25-ish on the open market right now, the way, if he continues to hit the way he's hit in the first half. Um, he's still a 32-year-old outfielder who's really bad in the outfield. Um, so he's probably better suited to go to the American League in DH, but he doesn't want a DH. So I could see a world where he comes back. I don't think it's going to be at the expense of Mike Moustakis. Um, it's just, it, yeah, it's it's just the thought there about Moustakis. They've done all this without him. Why keep him around? Because that really gums up the works. I mean, you can't put him in second. India's playing well there. You don't want to put him at third because Suarez is playing good there. You can't move him to the outfield. You don't have the DH as of yet. But that changes everything if the DH comes out of the National League. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I think it's going to for one. Um, I do I too. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I think it's a, it's a spot where a I think Jonathan India can play shortstop. Um, he he can play shortstop in Florida. He had a he has a cannon of an arm. He grew up. As, he's a third baseman shortstop. He's actually a left side of the infield guy. He's got as much range if you look at the defensive metrics as any second baseman in baseball. Um, so I think India could play short. I also think Alejo Lopez, who they just brought up, who could flat out hit, um, can play short. So, well, they, they've kind of thrown that idea out the window. The way I understand it, they're, they're saying he's either second or third. Lopez? Yes. Yeah, he's pretty much a second or third, but I think he can play short. Realistically, Kyle Farmer's done a really good job defensively at shortstop. He's not a shortstop either. Um, if he was an everyday player at the big league level, he's probably at second base. Um, I don't know what you're going to do, man. I see it, it being a thing where as Moustakis gets back and the other one is Senzel. Like, what do you do with Senzel when he gets back? Do you bench Tyler Naquin? I mean, he has not hit what he, as he did early in the year, but he's still hitting 265, second on your team in RBI. Like, he's got 15 home runs. He's been a really good player. Now, his downslide has been his been coincidental to their uptick, like they're playing better and he's not playing as good or as much. You're seeing Akiyama and uh, Aquino a lot more in center field. Um, but it, it's just you know again good problems to have. Yeah, I could see it being a place where maybe you move if either of those guys are back before the trade deadline. I could see you moving somebody out of that group. Maybe Aquino, uh, maybe even Mustakis, uh if they can bring you back the right the right price. If the Reds are going to get rid of Moustakis, I see it as a trade in the offseason. Well, that, and that that may very well be, but there's a lot of teams that are going to be very wary of picking up a guy with a $16.5, 17500000 million contract, two years left on that, to go for an injury. Filled. And, and Moustakis really has had, the last five years, a lot of injuries and has barely played enough games in those five years. Yeah, but when he's healthy... He's still a legitimate big league hitter. I agree. Um, Mike Moustakis on any team makes them better. I, you think the Indians wouldn't like to plug him in at second or third base right now? Uh, wherever Jose Ramirez isn't, you know what I mean? Like, if you no, just, they, I'll, I'll tell you right now, they would not pick up a guy with a $17.5 million contract. No, I didn't say anything about the contract. I'm just talking about the player. You're telling me if they couldn't plug Mike Moustakis in right now, or it doesn't matter what he's making, they wouldn't want that bat in their lineup. Of course they would. I would um, think. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not going to pay him sixteen million. But I mean, there were you know a lot of people vying for Mike Mustakas's services before he uh, he signed with the Reds a year ago. So I don't think the the book is closed on people wanting Mike Mustakas. Now the Reds may have to eat some payroll and not take as much of a return to get rid of him. 
But if they decide they want to move on from Mike Moustakis to save money to try to sign Castellanos, I, I, I'm okay with it. Um, but, you know, you got you got to find the right deal and find the right spot. Well, here's here's the interesting thing, Blake, and there are I, I've waited almost 20 minutes into the show to get into this because, and I have not told you this. I know you haven't heard it, but there are rumors abound around Cleveland right now that the Dolans have decided upon the new nickname for the Indians, and I have kept it a secret from you. And I, I know, unless you've looked it up on the internet, have you? No, sir. Okay. I wanted to get your initial reaction to it. I talked to my son, Greg Mitchell, today about it out in Chicago. He had not heard, and when I told him, he had a funny reaction, which I'll bring to your attention. But supposedly, according to the rumors, the new nickname of the Cleveland baseball franchise next year will be the Cleveland Guardians. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I wanted your first reaction my first reaction I mean, was you're kidding me yeah it's kind of dumb uh, yeah. I don't get it I don't you know no ties to baseball real no ties to the city of Cleveland none uh, yeah I, yeah. I, I'm not I mean I'm, I don't think it's terrible I've heard worse but it's not good either um, and you're you're a Marvel you're a Marvel movie fan. Greg's yeah, first exactly. Greg's first question to me was, "Who's the mascot going to be? The raccoon or Dave Bautista as Drax?" <laughs> uh, I would make you Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I would sell some tickets. But it, I, it, it's very nah to me. I just it's okay. It's fine. I just, I'm so against teams changing their mascots. I, I understand the climate that we live in, and I get it. I understand why they're doing it. I understand why the, you know, the Washington football team is still doing it. And they came out yesterday and said the Warriors wasn't an option for them. Um, you, you know what? It, you know what it sounds like to me that all the ones that they wanted had a trademark behind them, and they couldn't pick them, so they picked one that was as close as possible without a trademark associated with it. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I would be, I'm very interested once they release this to see, you know, what the branding looks like. Obviously, I do a lot of that in, in my professional life. I do a lot of branding and logo work and things like that. Um, you know, is the color scheme going to stay the same? The color scheme, uh, they did say the color scheme would stay the same. See, I, I think if you're going to rebrand, you rebrand and change everything. Um, I don't like the idea of rebranding to stay in the same colors because, you know, then you're just inviting people to continue to wear all their Indian stuff. So, which is fine if you're, but if you're changing it for that reason, then why are you not changing everything? Right. I mean, I understand why you got rid of Chief Wahoo, I guess, I guess. Um, but to just change the name, it bothers me. There's so much history tied up in these things, good, bad, and indifferent. There's good history as much as there is bad history. So, I, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of changing history, so, it just is what it is. I mean, if they're gonna do it, it's, Here, I, I'm not a fan of the Guardian. Here's the first, here's the first thing that popped into my head with that name. How do you shorten it? I mean, he's, with the Indians, it was okay, they're the tribe. You know, with the Reds, you don't have to shorten it, it's the Reds. But most teams, you know, they have, like Baltimore, the O's, the Yankees, they're the Yanks, the Sox. Either the Red Sox or the White Sox. They're known as the Sox. How do you, what do you want to call them? The guards? What are they? The inmate guards? Are they the outmate guards? What the heck are they? That's, I don't Yeah, care. I don't, I mean, I don't think there's going to be a way to do that. The branding is going to have to be really good. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I, I, I see a world where it's a, a clip art, you know, in the color scheme. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not. Yep. Yep. I'm not too uh, optimistic that this is going to be a home run if this is the, the final word of what it's going to be. I agree with you. Well, all right, let's get into the All-Star game. First of all, little want to go back in history for you here, Blake. In 1976, on this date, Johnny Bench, Dave Concepcion, George Foster, Tony Perez, Pete Rose, Ken Griffey Jr., and Joe Morgan all appeared in the All-Star Game on a Tuesday night, July 13th, in Philadelphia. 
and out of those players, they combined for seven hits, four runs, four RBIs in the National League's win. George Foster hit a three-run homer in that game and was named the All-Star Game MVP. Obviously, that's not going to happen tonight, but still in all, that's a little history from the Reds and the All-Star Game back from the Big Red Machine era. Just, it just continues to, to prove the point that the Big Red Machine is the greatest baseball team ever assembled, at least from a position player standpoint. The best eight guys on the field at the same time for, for a, you know, a ball club that's ever existed. You can argue murderers row, that's it. That is the list. The, the list is Big Red Machine murderers row, that's it. And I don't think it's even close. Um, you know, that would be, what, four Hall of Famers if Pete was in. Um, you could make the argument that Tony Perez belongs in. Um, oh, I think the Conce- Hall of Fame. Concepcion belongs in. Yeah, Foster is probably, I mean, Foster was unbelievable for a few years. He was one of the best power hitters in baseball for a decade. Yep. Um, if you look at the career numbers, they really don't stack up for, for a Hall of Famer, but he had a run there where he was as feared as any hitter in baseball. Um, and obviously, you know, the star, the straw that stored the drink and my all time favorite baseball player who I never saw is Pete Rose. And that's just, you know. Yep. It well, is what it is. That team was unbelievable. And you, you look back even further back to 1970 when Pete Rose ended the 1970 All-Star game at Running Riverford over my boy Stadium. Ray Fossey. What's that? Running over my boy Ray Fossey. Yep. In Riverfront Stadium. And that's one, one of, of the, the most fir- iconic pictures in, base- pictures in baseball history. Yep. Is Pete running over Ray Fossey to win an All-Star game. Yep. Pete. Pete would want to win. Pete would run over his grandma to win a wiffle ball game in the backyard. And you know like, a little, tri- you know a little trivia story about that. The night before, Ray Fossey was a dinner guest at Pete Rose's home here in Cincinnati. That's the thing is Pete. <laughs> Pete'd be the nicest guy to you in the world until it was time to strap it up and go between the lines. <laughs> exactly what I just said. He would run over his grandma to win a wiffle ball game in the backyard. Yep. He doesn't care. He just thought that's. How do, how we were you, having this conversation, me and my uncle, the other day about Pete, about, you know, the big, the great eight always seem to like each other. And I'm like, those dudes couldn't have really genuinely liked Pete off the field because he's kind of a scumbag. But between the lines, they absolutely loved him. Like, you, you can't play with a guy like that and not love the shit out of him because he's just, he is the dude that brings it every single day. I remember, wow. I, I could play the, I've still got the interview in my archives. Um, about seven years ago, I interviewed Johnny Bench for this show, and I asked Johnny Bench about Pete Rose, and Johnny absolutely got upset with me for bringing up Pete Rose. Um, he didn't at that point in time. He did not want to talk about Pete. He wanted nothing to do with Pete. Now, since then, they have mended fences, and Johnny will talk to you about him. But there was a time where Johnny and Pete did not see eye to eye on anything. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think a lot of that stemmed from what they felt like Pete did to the game. Um, they felt like the disgrace Pete brought to their the, the Reds and the game and the, and himself. And I think they felt like it was kind of a, a slap in the face to all the good they did. That you know, when you hear Pete's name, all you think of is negativity. And that's you know, I think that's what a lot of it was. Um, it's just it's it was sad. That's a long sad period of time, and still kind of is. You know, you look at Pete now and. He's just kind of—he is what I'm he a is. Yeah. Person anymore. I mean, yeah. he just is. Yeah. I, I, you know, I look at Pete Rose and I see a dude from Price Hill. Let's, and that's what he is. He, he looks just like a bunch of old guys I knew, but that grew up with my dad. And just it, he is who he is. But you know, when when the lights went on in the game and the ball was pitched, you didn't want anybody else on your side. Well, let's let's turn to tonight's ball game, the All Star Game. First of all, do you plan on watching it? Of course, I watch the All Star Game every year. I, I don't. I, I might watch the first inning or two, but after that, I really don't care. And the I will. Reason, I will definitely watch it as long as Castellanos and Winker are in the lineup. Once they're out, I may turn it off. Now, but while, while Castellanos and Winker are playing, I will watch the game. Now, how do you feel about the about Major League Baseball changing the rule? For the DH, just so Shohei Otani can stay in the game after he's done pitching. Great, it's the right thing to do. Although he shouldn't be starting for the American League, 
Um, he is not the best pitcher in the American League this, in the first half. Now, he's been good. He deserves to be an all-star in the American League. He is not the American League starter because that is reserved for the number one starting pitcher on both sides, and he's just not that. Um, again, really good, deserves to be an all-star as a pitcher, but he is not the best starting pitcher in the American League in the first half, so he shouldn't be starting the game on the mound. Yeah, I think the only that reason being said, they, it's a good the, the good deal they changed the rule. They they should have. I think that's the only reason he's starting the game was because that was kind of the the impetus behind them changing the rule so that he could stay in a DH. I think that's the only reason he's leading off too. He's not a leadoff hitter. Yeah, you would think he'd be batting third or fourth in that lineup. Yeah, um, you yeah. know it's 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 crazy. <laughs> I was looking at the starting lineups yesterday. The most amazing thing about this All-Star game to me so far is the fact that there are two Pittsburgh Pirates starting the All-Star game. Yeah. That is mind-boggling. Now, both of them have had really good first half, but they are definitely the worst team in baseball. Oh, like, by far. The, the fact that they have two dudes starting the All-Star game it, it literally blew my mind. Now, <laughs> obviously, Brian Reynolds was a late ad because Acuna got hurt. Um, he was a late, you know, addition to the starting lineup. But because they had to find a guy, I guess, that could play center field between Winker and Castellanos, you weren't putting either of those two dudes in center. No. That would be atrocious. But here's a question. I'm going to bring this up to you real quick. Who's worse, Pittsburgh, Arizona, or Baltimore? Well, the, I have a little <laughs> bit of jaded views on Arizona because every time they played the Reds, they smoked the Reds, which I don't understand. Um, they were always playing their best baseball when they played Cincinnati. Um, but, yeah, I'd say either one of those teams is yeah. fine. They're the only one with two starters in the All-Star game. Here, here's an interesting question that I heard over the weekend, and I wanted to bring it up to you. Prior to the steroids, who was a better player? Ken Griffey Jr. or Barry Bonds? Barry Bonds. It's a, isn't that a difficult question? Yeah, I, I, it depends on what you're asking me for. Um, the better pure hitter, I think, was Barry Bonds. The better baseball player was Ken Griffey Jr. because he was so dynamic defensively in center field. And Bonds was good and left, but he couldn't throw. He had a terrible arm. Um, but he was a he, – here's the thing, though, Blake. I – I agreed with you on everything until I actually started looking at the stats. Bonds had more stolen bases. Bonds had more golden gloves before the steroids. Defensively. He shouldn't have, but... He had, I, he, he had eight, Griffey had seven. That's, that's completely fine that he had that many gold gloves. He shouldn't have. They voted... That, that award is a joke. If anybody wants I mean, to tell me Barry Bonds was even close to the defensive outfielder that Ken Griffey Jr. was... I will laugh in your face because it is not even close. Bonds was because, really the guy that's that that really propelled Pittsburgh in, into winning that division so many times, and they couldn't get by Atlanta in the National League Championship Series. But just think about it. Since Barry Bonds has left Pittsburgh, they have not had a winning season. That's crazy. And then you look back at those two guys, in reality – they're really similar players, really similar career trajectories. Junior was just a bigger name because he was a smiling, good-looking, happy-go-lucky, backwards hat guy. Um, and, and he was in, you know, Seattle was kind of a fun market at the time. They weren't really good, but it was fun to see the Mariners. They had the kind of the uh, a uniform combination that people hadn't seen before with the teal and things like that. They were kind of in vogue because of Griffey. But career-wise and number-wise, they were unbelievably similar. Yeah. Especially when you look at, you know, the fact that they both come from big league ball player dads who were both really good players. Um, and it's funny. So when they you were really at, similar, and then you look at, you know, which one took steroids and which one didn't. Yeah. There's the difference. And you look at the dads. You look at Ken Griffey Sr., and you look at Bobby Bonds, and they had almost identical careers, too. It's crazy, right? Like it, it really is crazy to look at the, the similarities between between those two families until Barry Bonds stuck a needle in his ass. Yep. And then once he did that, everything changed. Yeah. And you know, Griffey, if he'd have done that, would he have gotten hurt as much? Probably not. If Griffey would have done that, would he be the all time home run king? Absolutely. 
Blake, all right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up tonight that has really started to get my goat is the status of umpiring in Major League Baseball, and it's starting to dwindle down into the minor leagues. I, it's time. I, I thought it was time a while ago. I still think it's time for the computer to start calling balls and strikes because these guys obviously at the major league level have absolutely no idea what a strike zone is anymore. But then I saw what happened Friday night in the minor leagues with at the single A level where they're using the computer to call balls and strikes and a ball that bounced into the left-handed batter's box to a right-handed batter was called a strike. And now I know you're going to have glitches with it, but they've got to clean that up. But Blake, I've seen more screw-ups by umpires this year than I think I've seen in a combined 50 years of watching baseball. It's almost like these guys have no flipping idea what the rules are anymore. It's it's crazy. I watched every pitch of the Reds Milwaukee series for obvious reasons, and it was the worst called series I've ever seen. Behind the plate was atrocious every game. There was not one game where he left and like, yep, that was a good that was a good game. They called it well. Yeah. Um. Thought you know Yelich being thrown out, he probably should have been thrown out. I actually think that was the right call, um, because he did make a turn. He did have an intent. I he saw that. Really, I saw that. He stopped really quickly. It, it but, was quickly, but I'll tell you, Blake, I've seen worse. Oh, I agree. and But I still think by the letter of the law, it was the right call. Now, that being said, Joey Votto being thrown out of that game for arguing a check swing <laughs> because he put his hand up. He, he did the exact same thing the umpire did to him. Yep. The umpire put his hand up to tell him to stop, and Joey Votto followed it up by putting his hand up, and he was tossed for that. Yep. It's a joke. Um, it's why, really bad. Why is it's, Joe West allowed to come in and grab a manager or a player to pull them away from an umpire, but if a player puts his hand on Joe West, they're suspended for three games? It's, it's amazing. These, that's my biggest thing with officiating at any level is these dudes are, they think they're above reproach, and that's the problem. They can't be, they can scrutinize, they can call balls and strikes wrong, they can mess up, and you call them out on it, you're the problem. It's 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 a joke, man. I mean, you just, the one name that you just need to look at is Angel Hernandez still calls big league games. Yeah. Like, there are so many issues and so many videos of how bad this guy is and Major League Baseball has done nothing about it. Like, I think it was the second game in the Milwaukee Brewers series. I was following this uh, this thing on Twitter. It's called, I think it's called um, MLB Umpire Auditor. Yes, yes. And they, the uh, the guy, I don't remember who was calling balls and strikes on thir- on that Thursday night game or Friday night game. Um, basically. Of the ten worst calls of the night across baseball, that guy had nine of them. Yes. He only got 80% of the balls and strikes right. 80%. Yeah. Now, are you going to miss some? Of course, everybody misses. That's fine. You would see a pitch four inches outside called a strike and a ball at the knees, dead center of the plate, called a ball the very next pitch. I mean, you know, uh yeah, and Freddie Peralta should have been ejected from the game on Saturday because he did strike out Nick Castellanos, didn't get the call, and then Castellanos hits the three-run bomb. Like, it was, and he went nuts. And he was right to go nuts yeah. because the Duke made him throw an extra pitch to maybe the best hitter in the National League in the first half. Blake, that's happened four times to Indian pitchers this year. They have struck out a guy with two outs in the inning and runners on base and the very next pitch is deposited into left field. I get it. It's it's atrocious. It's completely, like, it, it's unacceptable. You cannot have these guys determining the out- outcome of games. And 100% in that game, they did. You give Nick Castellanos another pitch in a 3-2 count where the pitcher's got to groove it, the dude's been un- unconscious. Like, he's the highest average in baseball right now. Yeah. What are you, you can't do that. And I'm, I mean, obviously as a Reds fan, I was happy they did because the Reds won the game. But Jesus Christ, man, it's, it's completely, they're going to change 
there's been games the Reds have lost that they should have won because of umpiring. And I'm like, if they miss the friggin' playoffs because of one game, it's on that umpire. Well, and, and in Friday night's game against Kansas City, I, I'm not sure if you saw the play where the Indians ended up with two runners at third base. Yep. Did you see it? I did. Okay. And Major League Baseball came out two days later and said the umpire did screw it up. Because when he signaled the first runner out, which the guy was safe, when he signaled him out, that guy pulled his hand off the base, then they tagged Hernandez, then they tagged Johnson again when he was off the base. Well, the only reason he took his hand off the base was because the umpire called him out, and he was the one that was entitled to the base. So it was it was simply that like I said that they appear that they don't know the rules anymore and they they all appear to be just relaying upon relying upon replay which was another thing that totally baffled me why wasn't that play a third allowed to be replayed cuz it's a judgment call <laughs> see what i mean it, Every play in baseball is a judgment call, though. I think every call, I think every call that's an interpretation of a rule should be replayable. And those, to me, whether that's a judgment call or not, that's an interpretation of the rule. That's why I don't, like the one with Christian Yelich, I would not want that replayed because you have to be able to see it in the moment, right? Yes. That's something you have to be able to see live in regular speed. The one for Cleveland, that is nothing but an interpretation of a rule. That's all that is. And why they can't get on the board in New York and say, what is the right call? Tell us what to do. Like, that is that is mind-boggling to yeah. me. Yeah. And, and, and in all reality, those crazy little rules that you never see, I'm okay with them not knowing it like the back of their hand, right? That's yeah. okay. But they should be able to get help from New York. And... If that's the case, it's okay. The fact, the, the one that bothers me is how piss poor the strikes on this. It's just that's, yeah. I don't, that is your primary duty is to call balls and strikes and keep the game moving. And if you can't do that, you can't umpire. I don't care if you know every rule. I don't care if you know the friggin' rule manual by heart. Like you can spout out the thing like it's a Shakespearean monologue. That's great. But if you can't call balls and strikes, you can't do that job. And there are way too many guys doing it at the highest level that you can't call balls and strikes. Blake, do you remember, are, are you too young to remember when the umpires behind home plate used to wear the balloon? Have the balloon out in front of them to, to protect them? Yes. I'm, that's... Okay. When they did that, they st- they would stand directly behind the catcher. Now that they've got the inside chest protector to protect them, they think they've got to be over the inside corner all the time, and it leaves the outside corner to where they've got to leave that up to judgment. Get behind the catcher so you see the entire 17-inch diameter of this plate, and you can call them on both sides. But they don't do that. They should have to set up behind the point at all times. Yes. But they don't. Completely agree. And I don't know... I really don't know. Would it be easier to call balls and strikes from behind the pitcher's mound? It might be because um, you can see everything out front of you. I don't know. I mean, the ones that drive me nuts, and this is coming from a guy that was, you know, it pissed me off when I was pitching slow pitch softball. I threw a really good curveball underhand. And I would start my left foot barely touching the rubber, leaned out as far as I possibly could, throw a curveball, and it lands two inches outside the framework of the plate. Well, guess what? That crossed the portion of the plate. It's physically impossible for it not to. Yeah. And you can't, all it has to do is touch any portion of the plate and it's a strike. So you throw a breaking ball from the third base side of the rubber that barely misses inside. It had to catch the plate somewhere. Like, I don't understand. And I'll tell you another one too. As a home plate umpire, and I've done this before, I've done it at the high school level. As a home plate umpire, if you're concentrating on if that pitch is a ball or a strike, you cannot see if the batter checks swings. You have got Correct. to ask for help. Yeah, that drives me nuts. And the ones that are blatantly obvious that they did or didn't go, and then they do or do not ask for help. Yeah. And, and I don't understand why the catcher has to request that. That should be mandatory every time. On a check swing, point to the third base, the first base umpire. Yep. 
Like every single time. But just as much as that irritates me, we've seen on two or three occasions this year where the Reds start with a four-man group and end the game with a three-man group. Well, that guy standing between first and second base, towards second base, he is in no better position to judge a check swing than the guy behind the plate. So then at that point, they shouldn't check it because that guy doesn't have a clue. Yeah. He can't see it. Yep, yep. I, that's th- another one of those interpretation of the rule ones that drives me nuts. Because everybody thinks it's, you know, about where he crosses or if he breaks his wrist or whatever. That's not the way the rule is written. The rule is written, it says, offered at the ball. Yes. Well, if you check your swing, I don't care who you, you're not offering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the rule simply states intent. If the intent was there to swing. And, you know, quite honestly, who, who the heck knows? Right. You know. And it almost needs to be a check swing is either always a strike or always a ball. Yeah. Because you're so inconsistent. The one that was called on Votto was a joke. He did not go. He didn't go. Flat out didn't go. And the dude called it because, you know, who knows? Does he not like Joey Votto? Does he have money on the Brewers? Who knows? Yeah. But how did you? It, it is what it is. Okay, changing, changing directions here real quick. How did you feel about the Reds draft? Uh, I only really saw the first three the first night, and I loved it. Um you know, probably the best college middle infielder that could probably be in the big league in two years, a kid out of UCLA, who was a top 25 draft pick as a high school kid. Um, he's probably the most pro-ready middle infielder in that draft, so I love that. Yeah, Matt McClain. Um, yeah, that's, yep. Yeah, the, the, uh, the catcher that was, that hit 23 home runs last year in college. Um, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of people don't think he can catch at the next level. I think they think he's going to have a third base. Um, but he can mash. Um, so, I mean, I'm relatively happy with what they did. You know, the only thing is they – I don't think they got any top flight arms. But, you know, you never know drafting 17, 30, and 36 based on their com- compensatory picks. What you're going to get, you know, obviously it was a win for the Reds because they were the only team that had three draft picks in the first night. So, yeah. you can't – you know, you're better off there than you would have been. Well, I was happy, I was happy with what the Indians did, picking up Gavin Williams out of East Carolina. I, I watched him a little bit during the the college baseball regionals. Very impressed with the kid, six six, uh, right hander. Uh, you know, hits about a hundred miles an hour, but he's got a devastating curveball. He's about the most. I thought he dropped farther down in the draft than what he was going to. But out of the first ten picks that the Indians had, Blake, they took nine pitchers. And one shortstop. But the thing that I didn't realize until I read an article yesterday was the Indians spend most of their time in the United States draft, in this draft that's just happened, taking pitchers. And then what they do is they go to the Dominican Republic and they sign the hitters that they want. And yeah, I, they go to they use their international pool money for offense. Yeah, and and that's. I mean, a, it makes sense if you look at the way their roster's been built over the years, right? Jose Ramirez. Francisco Lindor, I mean, guys that are, you know, offensive players for them have always been those Latin American kind of guys. Yep. Um, Any, you know, any guys that are more American are typically acquired via trade. Um, So it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, I I, I like that strategy. Um, You just got to wait and see. Here's the bad part of Matt McClain, though. And the minute I mention this guy's name, you're going to be, oh, boy. But do you know who his agent is? Scott no. Morris. Yeah, well, it doesn't bother me because for at least seven or eight years he's under control. There's nothing they can do about <laughs> it. He's going to sign. He's already left college. It's, it's a done deal. Um, his slot value is $3.6 million. Yeah. And yeah. It, that's the thing about baseball draft, man. The slot value is the slot value is. Yeah. You, you can go up or down a little bit, but not much. You have to you have to stay close to that slot value. You're not going to get risk being the the 15th or 17th overall pick. Uh, you know, 3.1 million is still pretty rich, but um, it's it's just crazy to, to to look at the baseball draft. It's hard. I watched the first round. Baseball draft so hard. You won't see these kids for three or four years. Right. Most cases, at best, and a lot of those kids you'll never see. Right. So it's a lot different than watching an NBA or an NFL draft. Absolutely. Two players I want to bring up right away um, before we shut off tonight's show. Um, Ronald Acuna. Boy, that really puts a, a hamper in Atlanta's chances this year. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they're done. I don't think they have a shot to, to I mean, to be – could they make the playoffs? Maybe they're not World Series good without Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, I watched them closely when they were in Cincinnati. After you get past, you know, Acuna, Freeman, and Albies, that roster is just very okay. Um, the pitching staff is not what everybody thought it was going to be. You know, Soroka's hurt again. It's sad to see that for, you know, one of the best young players in baseball. Well, they're seven games out in the wild card, and as far as the divisional standings, they're in third place, four games behind the Mets. You know, it's funny, when you look at the divisional standings, the Mets are the only team above 500 in that National League East at 47 and 40. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, they're fine. They have good pitching. Their offense is okay. They're fine. I don't think that that team scares anybody when it comes to the postseason. Who's your surprise team? American and National League. I mean, just pick one. It's hard. I haven't really dove into the – it might be the Mets. I mean, just being in first place in that division, everybody thought, you know, maybe Washington, maybe, uh, you know, everybody kind of thought Atlanta would be the best team in that, in that group. You know, the Mets to be seven games over 500 and be leading a division is pretty impressive. My, my surprise team, hands down, is the Giants. They are. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about the Giants for sure. Yeah, they've got the best record in baseball right now at 57 and 32. They're two games in front of the Dodgers, six in front of the Padres, and they're they're just. I mean, you, you other than the one guy that they've got on that team in Yastrzemski, and the only reason I know him is because of his granddad. You can't name one guy on the Giants right now. I can name a bunch of them, but I'm different. Well, and they have a lot of dudes that used to play for the Reds. <laughs> Crawford, yeah, they've, they've got Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, yeah. Evan Longoria. Um, yep, but the pitchers, I mean, you, you know, three uh, fifths of their starting rotation used to be with the Reds. Yep, Cueto, DiSclafani, and Gosman. Um, Kurt Casales, one of their is their backup catcher. He was with the Reds. He actually played pretty but the well this aver- year. But the average baseball fan cannot tell you one guy, except for maybe Posey, and you know, and Yastrzemski. I just know because of his granddad with the Red Sox. But he, he, you know, they're a team, and I'm shocked because I really thought Gabe Kapler was a terrible manager in Philadelphia, and whether or not he learned how to manage from that one year that he was there or what. Um, he's done a great job with San Francisco. Oh, for sure. And that's the, the big thing, and we talk about it all the time, managers in baseball. It just doesn't matter as much as other sports. You got The dude's got to produce. You can put them in the best position ten times out of ten, and they're still only going to produce three times out of ten. So it doesn't matter. I mean, you just put it, write a lineup card out and figure it out. But if your dudes can't accomplish what you need them to accomplish, doesn't matter if you're Joe Madden, Casey Stengel, Sparky Anderson. I don't care if your roster sucks. All right, final player I want to bring up tonight, and it's kind of a sad situation, but Trevor Bauer, um, your opinion of what's going on there? Uh, it's really hard to have a positive opinion about Trevor Bauer right now. Um, I don't – it's one of those things that I'm going to wait to reserve real judgment until everything comes out. Because it's such a bad situation. Yes. It almost feels like it can't be as bad as it's being portrayed right now. But if it is, it's horrifying and his career is over. Um, which is terribly sad for him and obviously terribly sad for if, if he did abuse that young lady, it would be horrifying. Um, but I would also not be completely shocked if there's some, some things that come out that, you know, there was a little bit more of that being wanted than it was, than it's being portrayed now, if you know what I'm saying. Like, it, it's interesting that you bring it up that way, Blake, because that's what I wanted to get into. Um, he has hired a legal team that is very reminiscent, uh, gene, by, uh, uh, down the line in your, uh, geriatrics of the OJ Simpson attorney firm. Um, Johnny Crawford's lead assistant is going to be his main attorney, but here's the tie to Cincinnati, Blake. Hunter Green's dad. <laughs> Hunter Green's dad is his private investigator, Russell Green. All that. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's, I guess it's, that's it's what terrible is. to laugh about anything that has to do with the situation, but just you know the small world of, of, of baseball. And obviously, Trevor and Hunter had worked together while they were with the, while Trevor was with the Reds. He, he you know helped the kid out a little bit. Well, and before um, you think that that's just a publicity stunt, it's not because that's Russell Green's main job. He's a PI. Oh, and apparently a really, really good one. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, he, yeah, his family is very well set up because of his private investigative services. Yep. Um, but, well, yeah, it's it's a terribly sad situation regardless of the way it ends up. Any Anytime something like that comes in with the safety of a woman and her well-being is not good, it's not okay. Um, but, again, I would not be completely shocked if there was a lot more to this story than is being portrayed. Okay, finally tonight, who do you pick for the All-Star game? Uh, based on the lineups, I'd probably have to pick the American League uh, with, you know, some of the guys that for the National League. If DeGrom was starting, followed by Scherzer, followed by think all those dudes, I would go to the National League because I think the pitching's better in the National League. Um, but... Uh, based on lineup alone, it's hard to go against the American League. I'm going to go with the American League, but to be honest with you, I just really don't care. <laughs> I oh, I don't care who wins either. I just want to see Cassianos and Winker go back to back. Yeah, I, I know. I, you know, there's nobody uh, other than Jose Ramirez who's coming into the ball game. Um, I, I really don't care who wins this game. I just Did want you watch everybody... the home run derby last night? No. There was a really funny so. They had, um, while Pete Alonso was, or no, while Shohei Otani was hitting, um, they, joining Carl Ravage and Eduardo Perez was, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., the greatest home run derby competitor of all time. Um, he was talking about Otani and how many swings he had. And he's like, and this guy's got a pitch tomorrow. Yeah. He said, I don't know who's leading off for the National League, but for whoever it is, I'm hunting dead red first pitch and hitting it out of here. I, I may watch the first inning just to watch Otani again. But to, to be honest with you, Blake, I mean, the Home Run Derby, I love the concept of the Home Run Derby. But here we go again with ESPN trying to put a time clock on baseball. The old-time Home Run Derby, I'm sorry, I keep going back to the old times, you had ten swings and you moved on. That was it. Why in the world do you got to have four minutes and these guys sit up there, take a timeout, take a break? Do you, re- do you remember why they made that change? I really don't care, but why? When the All-Star game was in Cincinnati in 2015, that was the first year they used a time clock. Major League Baseball made that rule change because in that evening, about 10 o'clock, 10.30, there was supposed to be really nasty weather rolling through Cincinnati. They did that so that they could get it done. They knew how long it was going to take in, in hopes that they could get it done before the weather. And it went off so swimmingly, thanks to Todd Frazier winning every yeah. round on his last swing, that they kept it. I like I like it. I, I, a lot more home runs. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it. I like to see these guys get up there and swing for the fences like anybody else. But you, you don't... Baseball is not a game designed to be hammered with a clock. It's just not. And I, the reason I like the home run derby against the clock is you're not just playing against the opponent. You're also playing against the clock. It just adds a layer of, of kind of building yeah. um, tension as the clock winds down and you're two home runs behind. And you know you got two more swings left in that time frame if you can hit them both. I like it. I understand why purists wouldn't, but I do like it. Same thing if you get if you're down by two home runs, you got two swings left out of your ten. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll agree to disagree on this one. Blake, do you expect the Reds to do anything before the thirtieth? I mean, we'll be back next Monday yes. night. We'll talk more about it then. But I mean, yes, I do. I expect them to to, to add a piece or two to the bullpen and possibly an infielder. Um, whether that's a top flight. Trevor Story infielder or not, I looked at for them to add a, a, at least one bat, preferably an infielder, and and uh, a couple of relievers. Well, you got Milwaukee again this weekend, and the Indians are on the road in Oakland. Going to be a tough weekend. Going to be fun. Red sweep the Brewers this weekend, pull in one, uh, and and they're going to at that point start running away. 
<laughs> All right. We'll see you next Monday night, okay? All right, buddy. All right. That'll do it for tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, the special All-Star edition. Sit back and watch the All-Star game tonight. We'll be back next Monday night at 7 o'clock with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Enjoy the game and have a good night, everybody.